Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the Buckswire Podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Buckswire editor, Luke Easterling. Welcome to another off-season edition of the program. We've made it to April. It's officially draft month. I've been spending a lot of time studying up on all these mock drafts, and I've definitely been seeing the name Luke Easterling as a source all over the place, and that's where I want to start this week's show. Luke's not just the editor of the Bucks Wire, he's also editor of the Draft Wire for USA Today. He's one of the best in the business when it comes to this stuff. And I just wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit to start this week's show, just talking about your process for putting these mocks together for the Draft Wire. Like, I'm sure you've got your positional rankings, like your needs for each team, right? But how do you go about putting your first couple drafts together? I mean, are you literally working from like the Jags and Trevor Lawrence and going pick by pick or is there a different kind of process to it? Yeah, I think that, you know, my my foray into sports writing in general started when I was, you know, when I was just a kid, really. And I, you know, I grew up in, in the Tampa area. So obviously I've been a Bucks fan my whole life, but I've always had just this weird fascination with the draft to the point where where, you know, yeah, I'm a huge Bucks fan. I grew up that way and, and that'll never change. But my love for the draft at such a young age kind of led me to this this appreciation of of just the whole league and the team building process you know the 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 you know art and science if it's one or the other of of drafting and evaluating players and how teams make those decisions and and how they turn out and that's fascinated me literally since i was a kid man so you know when when i started doing that type of thing as, as a, you know, in middle school, really, you know, typing up mock drafts and, you know, reading some of the best people out there, reading Dr. Z stuff in sports illustrated and reading, you know, Mel Kuyper stuff, obviously at ESPN and, you know, going through and, and, you know, trying to evaluate how, how people make these decisions and what makes them work out and what makes them don't. It's fascinated me for a long time. So, you know, trying to develop my own process for doing that. And I've always kind of enjoyed the college game more than the pro game as, as a sport itself. Yeah. So like, I, I'm not a fan of a college team like I've ever been a fan of the Bucks, Right. But like the college game, if, if there is an NFL game on, I kind of have to have a vested interest, whether it's the Bucks or if it's, it's, you know, fantasy or something like that. It's harder for me to just flip on a random NFL game and feel like I'm invested in it. If it's college football Saturday, I do not care who's playing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a good time. And I think that played into how much fun I have watching film and watching breaking down these prospects every year, you know, grading 250, 300 guys every year, because I love watching, you know, from the moment the first game kicks off at noon and whatever random big 10 teams or ACC teams are playing on ESPN to, you know, when I'm fall asleep in the third quarter of Arizona versus Boise State at two in the morning Eastern time, it's just I have a blast doing it. So I think that feeds into it as well. But my process for that has developed so much over that time where 
I, I love the fact that if you're really going to do an effective mock draft, you really do have to have an understanding of all 32 teams' needs. Yep. And that's impacted by free agency. It's impacted by so many different things. And I think that being someone who's been very invested in the mock draft universe for a long time, it's made me it's forced me to have a better understanding of the league as a whole, right? It's, it's forced me to get deeper into, and that's another reason why you'll see most of my mock drafts don't stop at first round. And I started doing that a few years ago, really when I first started at, at DraftWire, I found that, you know, readers can find first round mock drafts anywhere. You know, everybody can do top 32, but you know, especially if you're, te- if you're the Houston Texans, that doesn't help you this year. <laughs> sure. If you're the Rams, that's not going to help <laughs> yeah. you for another five years. Yeah, exactly, the Rams. So, you know, so it's, you know, and I'll get, I'll get a good ribbing from Mark Lane over at Texans Wire or, uh, or a Cam DeSilva over at Rams Wire. Anytime I put up a mock draft, it's fewer than two or three rounds. They're like, well, thanks, thanks for nothing. <laughs> awesome. Appreciate it. And when I go three rounds, I make sure to tag Lane and Slack, and I'm like, hey, just for you, buddy. Um, it's so but, true. Yeah, though. Man, I always it's, see it's, at least two rounds from your from your draft. That's true. So that's a cool point. And it's so much fun to go deeper there because again, you want to give readers something that they're not getting most other places, if not anywhere. And again, if you if you don't have a first round pick, or if you you know if you're a team like the Jaguars or the Dolphins, and you've got multiple firsts and multiple seconds, you've got you know you want to see how how that talent is going to fall off the board. Who's going to be there at the top of the second round that we expected to go in the first round. You know, we see a lot of movement at the top of day two because somebody's going to fall. And, and I think that's fun to play around with is who would be available on day two. And that's why I like to go deeper with those mocks as well. So it, it's a lot of, you know, moving things around and, and my own evaluation process and grading these guys the way I see them and also listening to people I trust and when I hear something that, you know, kind of disagrees with what I say, I go back and watch more and see, you know, is this something I missed or is this something I just flat out disagree with whoever's talking? I mean, that they both happen. And so I don't know, man, it's, it's still a process that I just enjoy so much. I, I'll, you know, I'll be sitting there late at night working on one and it still continues to just dawn on me that like I get paid to write these now, like I'll just do this. And so it's, it's something I'm incredibly thankful for, obviously, and, and something I still have just as much fun doing as I did when I was 12 years old. So again, I, I like to make them as, as deep as I can and, and really try to listen to other editors in our network, other, you know, fans of the, of the other teams, because obviously I know the Bucks to a certain point, but I think people have to admit that, you're never going to know all 32 teams like you know the one you love. So I am always listening to people I trust with other teams to feel to feel out the team needs and, and figure out whether what style of corner does your team like. And I'll ask you, you know, do you like big long corners or you like short, you know, shorter guys? Are you okay with that? It's it's a lot of asking questions and realizing that you will never have the market cornered on any of this information, right? right so right. it's I think that's that's what that's one important aspect of it is you got to be willing to listen. And you got to realize at the end of the day, and this goes for really every kind of sports writing, is that just don't take yourself too seriously. It's just we're all here to have a good time and have fun. And I think the minute we start raging over this stuff and projections and predictions, like we're just, we've lost the plot, man. We've got to remain focused on the fact that we're literally paid to to write about sports and talk about a game for a living. And the minute it becomes adversarial and people are getting angry and yelling at people about it, yeah, it's time to step away at that point. It's supposed to be fun. I have to wonder, like, so as the draft is, when the draft finally arrives, Luke, and you're watching the draft unfold, like, how seriously do you take it? Like, how are you checking off what you got right? Or is it just gravy at that point? Or do you just enjoy it? Do you kind of forget about the mocks? Or do you get, like, do you get a little pissed when... 
you know, you might miss on one that you thought you had. I'd love to say I don't care, but I am way too competitive for <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, yeah. I, I, so get it is a competition. I get super pissed if I miss, especially early on. If there's, you know, if, if I, I usually only get angry when I miss a pick that I didn't trust my gut on, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like if I end up changing a pick late because I get influenced by, you know, what I'm hearing from the outside or rumors here or, or whatever. And I don't trust my gut to, to go with the pick that I really think it'll be. And I end up being, you know, if I'd have kept it the way I wanted it, I would have been right. That's what really pisses me off. Um, so I've tried to, when I get down to, to those sorts of picks and I'm, I'm left between, this is what my gut's thinking. This is what the rumors say. I always try to force myself to just go with my gut. Cause even if I get it wrong, I always feel a little bit better having trusted what I wanted because if I get it wrong and I would have been right, man, I just, I get so, (laughs) but I definitely enjoy getting them right. But in terms of, you know, draft night, the way things progress, I think I've just been, I've become somebody that as long as the bucks don't screw it up, I want everything else to be as chaotic and ridiculous as possible, right? I want the buck. So the the last draft is perfect, right? Because the Bucks end up getting Tristan Wirfs at thirteen, right? And he could have gone as high as four. So I'm stoked. The Bucks made a great pick, but everybody else, I, I just want it all to basically burn down. I want, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Heath Ledger and the Joker. Just you want to watch the world burn. I decide. It's so fun to watch the chaos, and obviously that's somewhat self serving as the editor of a draft site too, because. You know, the more chaos, the more things people want to talk about, the more they're clicking on stuff. Like, I get that. I just want, I enjoy the entertainment value of the draft as an event so much that, again, as long as my team doesn't screw it up, I want everyone else to do all the ridiculous things. I want Baker Mayfield to go one number one at the last minute. I want the Bears to trade up for Mitchell Trubisky because it's hilarious. <laughs> I, I just, I love stuff like that. So in, in, the, in the moment, obviously, I'm, I'm in the zone. I'm, I'm typing a mile a minute trying to get stuff out. Um, but I do my best to, to take time and really soak it up and enjoy it and, and just play along with the chaos and, and roll with it, man. Like I said, as long as the Bucks do well, I hope everything else is as wild as possible. More thoughts with Luke on the draft, and we're going to get to some Bucks stuff, I promise. We'll do that all coming up next. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Luke, we can thank the 49ers for this. At least they got this blockbuster trade done now, so we can spend the next month analyzing the new draft board. And it looks a lot different now than when we talked last and first off we know the Niners are going to draft a quarterback after giving up all that capital to jump from number 12 to number three real possibility that we could see quarterbacks taken with the first four picks which is kind of wild and then the Dolphins taking that number 12 pick they got from the Niners and moving up to number six is also super telling because and I saw your revised mock draft on DraftWire, and I agree 100 percent I love this pick you made the Dolphins moved up for a reason and I think it's for Kyle Pitts I think the Dolphins are telling us that they like Tua and they're sticking with him. And I think the Eagles are telling us that they like Jalen Hurts and they're sticking with him. But there's some absolute wild cards in this top 10, like the Broncos at number nine, who could go quarterback or just take whatever dominant player falls in their lap. Same for teams like the Cowboys at number 10, the Giants at 11. Those spots feel like positions of power, considering they already have their quarterbacks. Tell me about the ripple effect now after those blockbuster trades between the 49ers, Dolphins, and Eagles. Yeah, man, I kid you not. I was uh, anytime a big trade happens like that in the first round at all, 
you know, obviously I jump right on and I immediately make a new mock draft that reflects the new order, right? Because that changes everything. It changes one pick changes, especially the higher up you go, one pick changes every pick afterwards. So, you know, I, I, as soon as that 49ers trade happened, I'm jumping on the computer, I'm typing it up. I get to pick 17 and the Eagles trade comes through. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm halfway through a brand new first round mock draft. And obviously the, or the order changes completely again. And I've already done pick six. I've already done pick 12 with the Eagles and the Dolphins. So I'm like, well, rip it up. Let's start go over. back up to six and start again. But, uh, and to your point about Kyle Pitts, I think that the, the thing for Dol- the Dolphins fans now is that will he even be there? I, I think if, if the Falcons don't go quarterback, which again is, is could be cost prohibitive, right? They have sure. a $40 million cap number on Matt Ryan for 2022 yeah. <laughs> the year after next. So we maybe they're like, you know what? We're just, we're just stuck right now. I know we'd love to take the quarterback because we don't really want to be picking in the top five, but maybe they take Kyle Pitts. They've proven they'll take a, a playmaker, a pass catcher. If, even if it looks like they don't need one, they did it with Calvin Ridley. You know, I mean, why, what if they take Pitts? If he doesn't go there, he could go to Cincinnati at five. I think maybe, you know, maybe chase maybe because of the connection with burrow, maybe that happens, but I think there's a real chance that four and five are, are the ceiling for, uh, for Pitt. So he might even make it to six, but in terms of how this impacts all those other teams, one of the first things I wrote after I finally finished that mock draft <laughs> um, was about the winners and losers of these moves, right? Who is impacted by what happened? And I think, and I wrote all the way from what you just mentioned, I wrote about the two of the biggest winners being Tua Tungavailoa and Jalen Hurts, right? Yep. Yep. Because I think Absolutely. both of their teams are proving that by trading out of the top four or five, you're not getting a quarterback because if you did, you would have stayed there and taken your guy. And the Eagles are doing it by trading back from 6 to 12 and saying, you know, we don't care that Justin Fields could fall to us. We don't care that Mac Jones might be the guy we want there. We're going back to 12 because we think we can still get Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle or somebody to help out the guy we just spent a second-round pick on last year in Jalen Hurts. So I think those guys are big winners. Yep. Um, I think another big winner is every other team picking in the top 10 who doesn't need a quarterback. We've mentioned already Cincinnati, Miami, um, I, I think those teams in particular, if, if you want to throw Detroit in there, I, I'm not as high on Jared Goff as, it, as the Lions I'm probably might the be. lowest there, are, there is on Goff. And, it, and it, I swear, if I was a Lions fan and I watched them pass up a guy like Justin Fields, for instance, no. because they just traded for Jared Goff, I would cry myself to sleep yes. that night. That yes. would be really, really sad. Um, but, you know, so they're kind of a wild card there. But, one of the, you know, on the other side of that coin, the biggest losers are teams like Carolina and Denver, right? And I think to a lesser extent, New England, because I think at 15, they were already a long shot to be able to get one of those top quarterbacks. But, man, if you're at Carolina, you're at eight, and you're thinking, man, worst-case scenario, you know, Mac Jones probably slides to us, even if those, you know. But but think about the landscape that's different from having one more team ahead of you that doesn't need a quarterback as opposed to thinking three are going in top three now, maybe four in the top four they might be lucky if Mac Jones makes it to them at eight at this point. <laughs> and if he gets anywhere near, think about if you're a Cincinnati, right? If you're Cincinnati at five and four quarterbacks have gone with the first four picks, you can either A, take the best non-quarterback on the board or trade back with Carolina at eight and still get one of those three guys. You can get Sewell for offensive tackle from, uh, from Oregon. You can get Chase or Pitts or somebody, you know, in, one of those three guys is going to be there if somebody's trading up for a quarterback. So, they're in a great spot, and now you're thinking Carolina. You're like, man, we will have to trade up to get the fifth-best quarterback in this draft, and we were picking at number eight. What do we have to do? 
So it, it changes everything, man. And, and you mentioned other teams like the Giants and the Cowboys. I, I agree that Denver is a wild card, but I think this trade, much like it does to Carolina, really takes them out of the running for a quarterback unless they're willing to move up and make a, and make a play like that. And I think that the wild card there is that if Atlanta – doesn't want to pick at four. They're obviously not going to let Carolina jump up to their spot to take franchise quarterback. You're not going to make that kind of deal with a division rival, but they might deal with Denver. If Denver's willing to give up a pretty penny to get whatever quarterback they want at number four. So that's a deal to watch. I think if you're, if your teams, like you mentioned Dallas and, and the giants, once you get to the end and to outside the top 10, you're talking about a lot of talent. We could very easily see no defensive players off the board until Dallas picks at 10, which, which is just ridiculous, their, and right? And fit their needs beautifully. And it fits their needs perfectly. You're talking about no corners off the board, no pass rushers, no defensive linemen, which interior defenders, I, I don't have a first ground grade on any interior defenders in this draft, so I wouldn't take one that high, obviously. But, you know, if you're a team like Dallas, if you're a team especially like the Giants, who really their biggest need right now is another pass rusher, I don't think any of those edge guys are going to be off the board. So you're going to be able to take, pick the best one available. The Cowboys are going to be able to pick the best corner available. Maybe Denver, if they're not going quarterback, maybe they go linebacker. Micah Parsons from, from Penn State would make sense there. You know, they the, the, the Broncos loaded up on corners in free agency. They really scored big in terms of filling that big need. So I don't see them taking another corner at nine. But it's, it's really set up well for teams like, like Cincinnati, uh, like Miami, those teams, like I said, Dallas and, and the Giants, and even Denver, if they really don't want a quarterback and they decide they're going to roll with Drew Locke, that puts them in a good position to get some good value at nine. But, man, if you're Carolina, if you're New England, and obviously if your team is farther down than that, teams like Washington, uh, teams like Chicago that need quarterbacks, they're – I mean, <laughs> you're going to spend a first-round pick on Kellen Mond or, or Kyle Trask at that point. You're just going to punt on day two and wait for those guys to be there, I guess. But – yeah, definitely uh, two deals that will have a seismic impact on the way this draft falls for so many teams. And we haven't even really talked about the teams that that made the biggest trade, which is San Francisco going up to number three when you have you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, who John Lynch says he wants to keep around for another year. They could get rid of him and only have like a $4 million dead cap hit this year. So I won't necessarily believe that till I see it. But, man, if you make a move like that, I know a lot of people are talking about Mac Jones. Personally, to me, I think Trey Lance is the guy that fits that situation better, in agreed. my opinion. Yeah, agreed. Um, a, a situation where he could go to San Francisco, sit behind a guy like Garoppolo, uh, that makes more sense to me, even just from a situation. I think also Mac Jones is a barely a top 50 prospect in this draft overall for me. I'd have taken him at number three. I would – man, that would just be – I wouldn't be surprised because I promised myself I'd never be surprised by anything I've ever seen in the draft ever again. But man, that would that would be a wild development. Yeah, it would. So we're gonna have to circle back to more conversations like this as we go here, and then over the next couple of weeks, because uh, I could just tell Luke, you just you just light up. I'm just gonna it. roll, man. You, love yeah, it, man. Gonna... <laughs> you just light up. I could hear the joy in your voice, and it's it's honestly it's tremendous. It's good stuff. So I appreciated that conversation. It's awesome, we'll, and we'll keep circling back. But let's end it with some Bucks thoughts. I know now. I think over the last four weeks or so, I've just been peppering you with the same question going, hey, Luke, the band's back together. Look, they signed another guy. Oh, look, we got Shaq Barrett back. Oh, and Dominic and Sue. Oh, yeah. Like, I, it's been over and over. I've been asking you the same questions. And I almost feel bad. It's like uh, I haven't been able to come up with a better – it's just like the band's back. That's been the topic I've just hammered. And now we have what I, – I came in saying, hey, we got all 22 players back, the starters. But you actually said it's more than that. Uh, but we also heard from – Fournette and Joel Glazer. What were your top takeaways from that presser? 
Yeah, well, I think with, with Fournette, obviously the big nugget from him was was basically confirming that he had other offers for more money elsewhere uh, and that he took less money to stay in Tampa Bay. Um, he said it's a place that, you know, really got him back on track mentally in terms of humbling himself. He, he kind of being the, that guy in Jacksonville where everything runs through you, the whole offense depends on you, you know, that's – there's a negative side to that where there's a lot of pressure and when you can't, you can't block for yourself, right? And you can't throw the ball to, to the receivers and have a balanced offense that opens up the box for you to have room to run. So there's an element of that to it. But also from an ego standpoint, I think Leonard was great last year, all year, and kind of being honest with us about how difficult it is mentally to go from that you know, position where you're the guy and you're the main focus from an ego standpoint and then going to a team who, you know what? If you weren't around, they might be just as well off and wouldn't necessarily care. And that really messes with a guy. You know, when when you have to make that mental adjustment from I mean, this is a guy who was a healthy scratch late in the season. Yeah. We were in we double digit thing. weeks. We hammered that Bruce, on topic too. We yeah, were Bruce about sat future. him down and was like, sorry, man, you're gonna be out for this game and, and I hope you you take it well. And he had a chance to he he had a, a moment where he was able to decide, like, do I wanna stay here? Do I wanna go somewhere else? Is this kind of role I want and he embraced that and obviously the you know the rest is history with the way he played in the playoffs but basically what he told us today is that you know that experience was kind of transformative for him as a person and getting him in in a a better mindset as to how to approach the game Uh, and I think he he feels loyal to this franchise for what they accomplished what they invested in him and how they helped him grow as a person as much as a player and I think he's excited to see that personal growth over another season with this team and to see what they can accomplish together. And I thought that was really, really fun. I'll just say right off before we stop talking about Fournette, I don't know if there's a player I really enjoyed talking to more than, than him the last year. So every time I get a chance to speak with him, he's always got great answers that aren't cookie cutter. And he really dives deep into things. You can tell he's very, very thoughtful about the way he answers questions and he's not trying to BS people. So I I really appreciate his approach to speaking with the media. I think he, he does a really great job of not, not just mailing it in, which again is easy for a lot of guys to do, I think, but I, I've always appreciated his thoughts. And as far as Joel Glazer, uh, one of the, uh, the, the three, <laughs> the, the three headed monster of Glazer, uh, Glazer family that owns this team, uh, spoke to us, um, spoke to us today as well. And obviously no, no, everything is virtual as far as the owners meeting. So we talked, we touched on a bunch of different topics. He, Disappointed a lot of Bucks fans by saying that there won't be creamsicle uniform throwbacks just yet. They're still working. <laughs> They're still working with the league, trying to get that stupid helmet rule changed to where they can wear the white helmets on uh, for a throwback game. But that's not happening just yet. He did say that uh, Monty Kiffin, the defensive coordinator, the legendary defensive coordinator from the Super Bowl era, will be the next uh, member of Bucks uh, lore to go into the Ring of Honor, and that will happen this year. We'll have more details on that later. Um, he said he does expect a full stadium this year um, in terms of uh, COVID regulations and that sort of thing as far as attendance. So that's what teams and, and the league seem to be planning. He's obviously excited about having another regular season game, even though it's on the road uh, this year against Indianapolis. So a lot of cool stuff. We don't really get a whole lot of chances to, to speak with ownership. So that was a, a, a good opportunity um, and definitely uh, an exciting season ahead for this team that, again, has had a very boring but very successful free agency and offseason. Absolutely. It's been boring for all the right reasons. They're all back. The, you know, they could start the exact same starting lineup in that they had in the Super Bowl on week one of 2021. I mean, that is not to go back to that thing again, Luke, but that is how sweet is that? It's just so freaking awesome. So I'm looking for hey, one. Hey, one more note on that. And Please. I wrote about this last, uh, last night. 
the Bucks brought back, and I'm going to try to remember everybody. I think it was basically all the big ones except for Ryan Suckup wasn't included. So we're talking Gronk, Barrett, Godwin, Levante, Fournette, and I think maybe there's one other one that was brought back. Their combined cap hit, their combined cap number yeah, for 2021 this. Go, this is, is less is less money than the Eagles are paying to not have Carson Wentz on their team this year. <laughs> the, the dead cap hit that they took after trading away Carson Wentz is more money than the Bucks will be paying all of those players. Uh, Sue, and Dominick and Sue was the other one, actually. So all of those guys are coming back for less money than the, the Eagles paid to not have their number two overall pick play for them this year. So just, just a little perspective to avert your, avert your ears, Eagles fans. Sorry yeah. about that. How's that taste, Eagles fans? <laughs> it's like, it's a good taste. Time. Tastes about as good as Rondé Barber running down that sideline, I bet. I got to say, if you can't hear it in Luke's voice, it's a great time to be a Bucks fan. It just is. It's just a great time to be a Bucks fan. So... That's our show for Luke Easterling. I'm Ryan O'Leary. We'll be back next week. We'll talk to y'all then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.